22nd chapter and the second verse. 1 Samuel, the 22nd chapter and the second verse. I'll give you a moment to turn there. 1 Samuel, the 22nd chapter and the second verse. Uh, we looked at this scripture, you know, on Sunday. Uh, briefly, we're going to get into it in depth tonight. It says, everyone, verse, 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. Everyone who was in distress, who was in debt, who was discontented, gathered to him, talking about to David. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Now, this was before he became the king. He, he had been anointed to be king, but he hadn't become king yet. Remember, Samuel went over to Jesse's house, anointed David as king. But there was a good while between the time he was anointed and then the time he actually became king. And uh, right here it says, Everyone who was in distress, debt, discontented, gathered to him. He became captain over them, and there was about 400 men with him, 400 of them. Now, if you go to 2 Samuel, that was 1 Samuel. Go to 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verse 8, if you would. 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verse 8, says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Now, of the 400 men, there were about 10, 9 to 10%. So about 38, to, about 38 of them got named as mighty men. So he had 400 men, but only about 10% of them got named as mighty men. And I want to look at, at some of those mighty men. Some of the mighty men, we see what, they're, what they did. Some of them just got named. Some of them, the Bible shares with us what they did to be considered mighty men. So of the 400, there's, a, there's about 10% of them, about 37, 38 that got named. But of those 30 or 7 or 38, there's just a handful of them, just a few of them, where we saw what they did, which caused them to be mighty in God's eyes. So let's look at the things those fellows did to be considered mighty in the eyes of God. Now, again, I want to make a statement to you. I want you to get this. These are the men who joined David before he came to the throne as king. You know, I found that, uh, uh, do you know after somebody hits the lottery and they win the jackpot, there's a whole lot of people who want to be their friends. Is that right? Is that right? Now, I'm not saying we ought to play the lotto. I'm not saying we should do that. But you know what I'm talking about. You know, when somebody comes into a lot of, fame or fortune or, or wealth or whatever, you know, all of a sudden they have friends they, they didn't know they had. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, once somebody gets elected president, you know, that person will find that they had a whole lot of friends they didn't realize they had. But the only reason people are friends with them a lot of times is because they got elected to president or because they became the king or because they hit the jackpot. You know, I'm not looking for those kind of people to be my friends. How about you? I want people that are going to be my friends just for me, whether I've got anything or not. 
Because if they're just going to be my friend because of, of, of what I have or what I can do for them, they're not, they're not really my friend. And as soon as I can't do any more for them, they'll discard me like yesterday's newspaper and go on like a locust. You know, a locust will come in and consume and then just go on and find another field to consume and then they'll just move from one field to the other. Is that right? And so if somebody's just going to be my friend for what I can do for them or you know, they're not my friend. They're just using me, and then when they can't get any more out of me, then they'll go on to somebody else. See, but these guys weren't like that. They were, David, they were with David before he became king. Now, these are the kind of people you want to have, you see. And uh, now, let me just read from my notes. Although Saul had already been set aside by God as the rightful king of Israel, because, you know, Saul was the king, and then he was... Uh, you know, set aside by God because of his disobedience and all of that. And God chose David. So although Saul had been, already had been set aside by God as the rightful king of Israel, he had not yet been removed from the throne. During this time when David was uh, in disfavor with the establishment, you know, with Saul's kingdom, these men joined him, these 400 men joined him in the wilderness, in the wilderness and became his... See, I'm looking for somebody who's going to be my friend when I'm down and out and don't have anything, you see. And became his army of loyal supporters, see, when he was in the wilderness, before he was actually the king. See, these guys joined David. Now, in many ways, King David portrays our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he's actually, David is a type of Christ, if you study his life very closely. It is in this time of rejection that David particularly pictures Christ. As David was the anointed and rightful king, but was unrecognized and rejected by the establishment, so now Christ, Jesus, you know, is the rightful king, but is unrecognized and rejected by much of the world. Isn't that right? Those who recognized David as king had to be willing to join him in the wilderness and share in his unpopularity and rejection. That is also true of those of us who have recognized the Lord Jesus as king and have joined him. Certainly we can identify in a spiritual way with the men who came to David in the wilderness. People in distress. How many ever been in distress besides me? In need, people who were dissatisfied with the established system, you know. Out of that motley bunch, the mighty men of David emerged and some of their historic deeds are recorded, as I said, in the Bible for us to learn from. And I feel there are some wonderful lessons here that can help us in our growth as Christians. Now, why did the Holy Spirit record the names of these men for us? It indicates, you could say this, it indicates to us that God records our personal service as well. Did you know everything we do for him he keeps records of? God has books where he keeps records of everything we do for him. And other Christians, you know, other Christians may not be aware of the things we do behind the scenes, you know, in our service for the Lord Jesus, but God sees and knows what we're doing and he records and eventually at some time whether on this side of the grave or after we've gone to heaven, we'll be rewarded for those faithful acts. So just as these men are listed, so God keeps record of our good deeds and so on. 
Now, as I said, wonderful lessons can be found in the various acts of service of David's mighty men. So let us look at them now. First of all, 2 Samuel 23, 8. 2 Samuel 23, 8. Uh, let's read the 8th verse. These are the names of the mighty men of da- that David had, whom David had. Now, the first one we want to mention is Joseph Bathsheba. That's the best I can do. The Tikamanite, <laughs> chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite. But, but anyway, so that's who... Now, look at what he did. Now, this is what you need to center in on. He had killed 800 men at one time. He killed 800 men at one time. Now, why is that significant? Because You see, because a mighty man or woman of God will be able to overcome against great odds. How many of you know if there were 800 people out there that wanted my head on a platter and I overcame them, that would be overcoming against great odds. Is that right? And there's another one that we want to call attention to in verse 18. In verse 18, 2 Samuel 23, 18. Abishai, Abishai, the brother of, and so on and so forth. But look what he did. He lifted his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name among these three. Why are we calling these two men to your attention? Because they overcame against great odds. You know the devil will try to stack the deck against you. You understand that? And when we can, I, I tell you what, and, and as we walk this, this life out down here, essentially we're, we're kind of playing, because we're in, we're in the world, we're not of the world, and, and we're kind of playing against the devil, you know, and, and he'll cheat on you. Did you know the devil's a cheater? He'll cheat on you. But thank God, even in the midst of his crooked, crooked world down here, bless God, we can overcome against all odds. Can you say amen? amen. And so if you want to be considered not just one of Jesus' men or women, but you want to be considered mighty, then you have to be willing and able to overcome against all odds. And thank God we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Is that right? And the Bible said, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of how many of them? All of them. The Bible said a thousand may fall at our side and ten thousand at our right hand, but it shall not come nigh us. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. And so we need to be overcomers. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Our faith. And so, you know, as long as we walk by faith and not by sight, and we live by faith and we hold on to the word of God, we can overcome no matter what the devil stacks against us. Amen? And that's a requirement to be considered mighty. The Bible says the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They'll come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So no matter how impossible the situation looks, and you know if you had to go out there and take on 800 men, think about that. I'd get a little nervous if I had to just go out there and take on one or two or three. But 800 of them or 300 of them? Impossible odds. But with God, 
we're in the majority. Amen? And as long as we trust in Him and walk by faith, they'll fall at our side. And we'll go on and do the impossible as we believe in Jesus, you see. And we'll overcome and we'll be considered great in God's eyes. Now let's look at the next one. It's uh, verse, 20, verse 9 here. Second, we're just in 2 Samuel 23 now. 2 Samuel 23, verse 9. 2 Samuel 23, verse 9. Eleazar. Eleazar is the next one. Eleazar, verse 9. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. I'm glad my dad wasn't named Dodo. How about you? Anyway, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they... Now watch this. When they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. Now watch this. Eleazar's who we're looking at here. They were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel retreated. Now notice he's out there fighting in the battle. And the men of Israel retreated. And just because you're one of the 400 doesn't mean you're considered a mighty man. This man here was fighting in the battle and the other, some of the other guys retreated. Notice verse 10, he arose and attacked the Philistines. They were, you see, Philistines were the devil's army of the devil, you know. He arose and attacked the Philistines. And look, at it, look how long he did this until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. But why was God able to do it? Because he had a man that wasn't going to retreat. He had a man that was going to, even in the midst of weariness, continue on with the plan of God. And then it says the people returned after him only to plunder. And I'll say more about that in a moment, but let me just get this in. Eleazar stood and fought the enemy, even though his fellow, fellow soldiers had retreated. You know, the Apostle Paul said, All have forsaken me, but I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. You know, I've gotten to that place in my life. No matter, no matter who forsakes me, no matter who might walk away from me, I'm going to continue on with the plan of God. Did you hear me? I know in whom I've believed and I'm going to continue right on with the plan of God. And you see, that's what Eliezer did. He stood and he fought the enemy. Now notice he wasn't fighting those people, that, those guys that were fleeing away. Those, you know, he was fighting the enemy. See, we, I, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this uh, world and spiritual wickedness in high places. You understand, remember who the enemy is. The enemy is not your next door neighbor, you see. You understand that? But this man, Eleazar, stood and fought the enemy even though his fellow soldiers had retreated. That's what Paul did. He said, all have forsaken me. Now, as you look, at, you know, not everybody forsook Paul. He still had Luke and Timothy. And, but, but, you know, basically everybody forsook him. But then he says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Amen. And... Uh, Something else I want to point out is even though Eleazar was at the point of exhaustion, he would not rest until the Lord brought victory. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to rest until I finish the race and I've had total victory in every area of my life. 
And it's the Lord who brings the victory. Do you remember when, uh, when the, the enemy had gathered against Jehoshaphat out there? And remember the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and he began to prophesy in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. Amen. It's God's battle, you see. And, uh, and we just continue to serve him. And even as you serve him, sometimes you become weary. But when you become weary, that's when you stick to it. You have to have stick to itiveness if you're going to finish the race for God, you see. And sometimes when, you know, you've heard from God and you're doing what God told you to do and others may walk away, it, it can be tempting to just kind of throw the sword down and go with him. But no, 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 I'm not throwing the sword down. The sword of the Spirit, I'm hanging on to the Word of God, bless God, you see. And I'm going right on with what God told me to do, you see. How about you? And you saw Eleazar, see Eleazar was out there in the battle and he became weary. He saw this one leaving and that one going and this one doing this and this one doing that and this one. But he knew what God had told him. He wasn't moved by what everybody else are doing. Let me ask you tonight, who is your God? Is your next door neighbor your God? Are you going to do something because the next door neighbor did it? Are you going to do it because God told you to do it, you see? You'd be surprised how many people do something just because somebody else did it. Just because somebody else jumped off the roof, are you going to jump off too? Ask yourself, who is your God? Who are you following? Who are you serving? Be sure it's the one that sits in the far sides of the north, you see. Can you say amen? And so Eliezer's out there and he's doing what God wants him to do. And he becomes weary. I'm telling you, serving God can become weary at times. But his hand stuck to the sword. He stuck to it, you see. He stuck to it. He stuck to it. He stuck with it. I'm going to stick with it. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. I'm sticking with this. B-I-B-L-E. It's still the book for me. I'm sticking to the Holy Ghost. I'm closer to the Holy Ghost now than I've ever been. Glory to God. This, this church now is more in the flow of what the Spirit of God wants than it's ever been in 15 years of existence, you see. I'll say that again. This church right now is more in the flow of what the Holy Ghost wants than it ha ever has been in 15 years, you see. Praise God. And I'm going to go on with God. We're going to see people saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, speak with other tongues, healed by the power of God. Can you say amen? amen. I said, can you say amen? amen? Glory to God. I'll tell you the truth. I've had some people that have been uncomfortable with the move of the Holy Ghost that don't really know the Holy Ghost walk out the door. But I'm still here. I'm going to follow the Holy Ghost. And I'll tell you, rolling around on the floor acting like a fool is not the move of the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. Boy, I feel boldness on me. Get the Holy Ghost on you, you'll get bold. Amen. I've had too many people roll around on the floor like a fool and go out and watch R-rated movies after the service. I'm tired of that. I want to see people born again. I want to see people baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in another tongue. I want to see people healed by the power of God. I don't want to see people just fall down. I want to see, I'm looking for the Holy Ghost to knock some people down and then raise them back up healed. Glory to God. Can you get, with, get, get in with me on that? You know, it's real easy to fake falling down, but it's not so easy to fake getting raised up by the power of God. Let's have what God wants. I said this church is more in the flow of the Spirit of God than it ever has been in 15 years of existence. 
The Holy Ghost got a hold of me. And he said we were, we were close to what he wanted, but not quite right. So I was willing to make a little adjustment. I'm so glad I did, praise God. Get ready for the power of God. But don't get ready for a bunch of foolishness, hilarity of the flesh. Get ready for a real move of the Holy Ghost, bless God. Amen. I'm stirred up. When the Holy Ghost, really when the Holy Ghost starts moving, if there's unbelievers in attendance, according to the Bible, they're not going to think we're crazy. They're going to think that God is really among us. If the Holy Ghost starts moving and there's unbelievers in attendance, they're going to want to be hitting the altar to get saved, not hitting the door saying these people are crazy. Let's have the real move of the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? And you know what? When a man gets overcome by the Holy Ghost, there'll be some Holy Ghost anointed preaching. If I can't stand up here and preach under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I don't want to do this anymore. I teach most of the time, but once in a while I get a little stirred up. Praise God. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and healing. Now what's teaching? That's what I do most of the time, line upon line, precept upon precept. But once in a while when the Holy Ghost gets on me, I do a little preaching. Is that all right with you? Praise God. Amen. Jesus, see, that's what the Holy Ghost told me to center in on, the work of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He went about what? Teaching, preaching, and healing. What is teaching? Line upon line, precept upon precept. What's preaching is when the power of God gets on you and you do a little, you know what I'm talking about, where it looks like I'm going to explode. And healing, and healing, and healing. Say healing. And when God heals somebody, oh, the congregation ought to rejoice and be glad. Amen? So we're right in the middle of what the Spirit of God wants done. And I'm going to stick with it, bless God. I'm going to stick to the sword of the Spirit. How about you? You know, spiritual warfare can be very draining at times, even though others may throw in the towel. Great victory comes to Christians who hang tough and don't give up. Jesus said... He said, anyone having put his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I don't want to look back. I want to move on and do what God wants us to do. And it's interesting, though, remember it said, and the the people returned after him only to plunder. Now, look, they're, they're running away when there's battle to be done. They're running the other way. But all of a sudden now Eliezer wins the battle and there's all that spoil. You know what spoil is? There's all the goodies out there. And now these people that were running off, what's another name for that? Uh, Oh, cowards. Now they're coming back and they want to get in on the goodies. Isn't that what it said there? The people returned after him only for what? The plunder. Those not as courageous came back only for the plunder, the spoil, the treasure, the goodies. You see, some want, some want just some of the Christians to do all the work, and then when all the work is done, the others want to show up and just reap the benefits, you see. Well, no, let's don't be a people that runs, uh, runs away from a good fight. It's a fight of faith, and a good fight we win. Let's all stay in there together and be in agreement and fight this fight of faith together. Can you say amen? amen. And then when the devil's defeated in our area, you know, and then we can all enjoy the spoil. Amen. Praise God. Now then, there's the next one, Shema, in verse 11. Shema, verse 11. 2 Samuel 23, 11. 
Praise God. 2 Samuel 23, 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. Well, these are some names, aren't they? The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself. See, if you want to be a mighty man or woman of God, you got to station yourself in the middle of the field and defend it. And killed the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. Notice the Lord's bringing the victory about, but it's only if we're willing to do what he tells us to do. And he's got me an F-E-N-T-O-N in Fenton, which is right in the outskirts of St. Louis. And he's given this city to us, bless God. And it's time we rise up and run the devil out and take it. Amen? And the only way we're going to be able to do it is if we flow with the Holy Ghost. And stay in the written word of God first and foremost. Flow with the Holy Ghost and station station ourselves here where God's put us. Right in in the middle of the field, if you will, and defend it. Realize, say, I'm going to defend it. Say, it's my city. And I'm going to defend it. Bless God, we're here. We're not here by accident. We're here, what does the Bible say, for such a time as this. This is our city, bless God. St. Louis and the metro, uh, Metroplex, it's our city, and I don't want the devil running it. How about you? Amen. One reason the devil's been fighting me so hard lately is because finally we got in the full flow of what the Holy Ghost wants to do. And when you get in that full flow, the devil will fight you every which way. And you know, he'll, he'll stir people up against you. Did you know that? He'll stir people that don't really want what God wants up against you. Did you know that? And I said he will. He did it to Paul. And we're no, we're no different. And he'll stir people up against you to fight against you on every side. Because you see, when you start having a heart for the lost and want to reach out beyond the four walls of the church... And you're no longer content to just have a, a group that meets within the four walls, but you want to open this up and let's let people come in that, that, that don't know Jesus so we can tell them about Jesus. Let's go out into the highways and byways and tell people about Jesus. See, now we're getting over on the devil's territory and he doesn't like that, you see. And this church can't just be a church for people who have been saved forever. It should still be for them, but it must also be open to people that don't know anything about Jesus so that we can help them too and get them saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. What do you say? We need to go out and affect people, you see, and tell them about Jesus. And don't let the devil take this city and have this city and do what he wants in this city. Wouldn't it be nice to to shut that bury down? Ooh, did I get on somebody's toes? Wouldn't that be nice if we, if we had such influence in this city that we could shut stuff that's sin down? Huh? Shut the porno halls down. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful there could be such a move of the Spirit of God that like in the day... You know what real revival is? Real revival is not people coming together, rolling on the floor, acting like a bunch of fools. Real revival is when the power of God falls and sinners fall under conviction and they repent and they come to Jesus and the bars shut down, you know, because they want to come to the house of God where the real power is, you see. That's what revival is. That's what I want to see. How about you? But we've got to station ourselves and we've got to defend it, you see. And sometimes you've got to be bold. If you're not bold, the devil will walk right over you. Did you hear me? 
So I didn't know this message was going to come out this bold as it's coming out. I can't plan that. I just know that's what the Spirit of God wanted. I didn't know the boldness of the Spirit of God was going to get off on me tonight. But that's all right with me. How about you? If you lose that out of a pulpit and you never have that, then you don't have a pulpit worth coming to listen to. Did you hear me? And so Shammah defended the position and the provision of the Lord's people. The Lord is looking for us to do the same, position ourselves where he has assigned us being immovable, defending the faith and being willing to go to battle for his righteous cause. I'm ready to go to battle. How about you for what Jesus wants to do? In Jude the third, uh, one verse three, you don't have to look it up, but, but we're exhorted to contend earnestly for the faith. We should stand firm on the Bible and be willing to defend it even with our very lives if necessary. Jesus said this, he said, he said, occupy till I come and I'm ready to occupy. How about you? Glory to God. How many is just a little bit stirred up? And then this next one touches my heart as much as any of these. Look at verse 15. David said, because there's three fellows here, and some argue that it was the first, it was Josebed and Eleazar and Shammah. Some say it's these three men. Some say it's three other men that are just unnamed, whatever. But here's, look at what these guys did. Touches my heart. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. He liked water from that well. That was his city. I remember the well, the old well we used to have. There was something about that water. It just tasted real good. And he said, I would just like a drink from that, a longing for a drink from that well. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines because it had, it had Philistines guarding it. They drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Now, you know what? That really, that really tells me something about these guys. These guys loved David. They were loyal. And all David had to do was just say, you know, I'd re- I really would like a drink out of that well. And these guys were real willing to put their life on the line to, to do something for their king. And that's what they did. And they brought it to him, and he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Think about that. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should, uh, that I should thirst... Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Now, this is a beautiful example of personal loyalty to their human leader, David, and also as an example of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, let me read from my notes. David longed for a refreshing drink from the well of his hometown, Bethlehem. These three mighty men overcame the enemy and brought the water to David at great personal cost and in spite of overwhelming obstacles because it was guarded by the Philistines. And why did they do it? Just because it was a desire of their leader's heart. They were not commanded to perform this deed. It was not a military duty. They simply acted out of love for their leader. Similarly... Our worship of the Lord Jesus should not be performed as something we have to do, but as an act of devotion because we love Him. True worship will involve time, effort, and sacrifice, and sometimes the, overwhel- the overcoming of great barriers that are thrown in our paths by the enemy. 
Have you ever noticed how many obstacles and diversions seem to present themselves when we would like to spend time worshiping the Lord or praying? But you see, He desires our worship, so whatever it costs me, I'm going to worship Him. Did you hear me? And these men, see, these men, they understood that they, see, they were following David as David was following Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Remember that? See, we all have to be submitted to authority if we're going to walk in line with this book. This ministry is submitted to the Hagen ministry and to Rhema Bible Church, and we follow them as they follow Christ. And that's scriptural. See, it would be scriptural for you, if I'm your pastor, for you to follow me as I follow Christ. To have it any other way is not in line with the Bible. And you can't exercise authority until you're willing to come under authority. And I don't mean a dictatorial authority. I mean, like Raymond, they're not dictatorial over us, but we're under their authority. They're there if we need them, you see. Did you hear me? See, if you attend here, I I don't run your life, but if you need me, I'm here for you. Did, did you. Did you hear me? And so the Bible says, you, you know, if I'm your pastor, you'd follow me as I follow Christ. And, and so these guys were following David as he followed Christ. And David just said, you know what, I'd like a drink of water from the well. And just as fast as these guys could go, they got it. I have people around here, I have to be watchful a lot of times what I say, because I've got people around here that, that love me and Diane so much. If I just say, you know, I sure would like thus and so, bang, I have it. And sometimes people go to great lengths. You know, I, I don't mean just big, big things. I'm talking about, you know, I, I said, well, there was one time I said I wanted an Elvis video of when he was singing in his last concert. And Gary and Karen back there for my birthday, they had it for me. And I, didn't, I don't know how they got it, where they got it, but they came up with it. And then there, there's other things, just, just things like that, and I use them as an example. But, but that, you see, if you want to be a mighty man or a woman of God, you need, you need to be sensitive to the people that you're following and, 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 and do what these guys did. Now, I'm not telling you you have to do that for me, but can you see what these guys did? And I'm very watchful about it. And you see why David was worthy of these guys doing this? is because when they brought him the water, he wouldn't even drink it. He said, this is so holy, putting them over, this is so holy, these guys risked their lives, this is so holy, I'm not even going to drink it, I'm going to pour it out as a drink offering to the Lord. See, that showed me that he was worthy of, of, of their, their loyalty, you see. Do you know there's a lot of leaders not worthy of the people's loyalty? There's a lot of leaders that will just use people. There's a lot of leaders that say, I, I sure would like a diamond ring just to get them to go buy. I'm not going to do that. I, I don't want that kind of stuff. I'm more blessed if somebody gets me an Elvis video, you know, or something like that, you know. A Diet Coke. Bring me a can of Diet Coke. Glory to God. Neither one of those are any good for me. I understand. You know, give me a can of tennis balls. Just something or golf balls. Just something or bowling balls. Just anything, you know. You understand, I, I, it's not, it's not, it, David, it, David took what, he took that water and he poured it out on the ground. And, and you look at it, you think he did something insulting. But he didn't, he offered it as an offering to God. Honoring these guys' service. Did you see that? I don't know, that's the kind of person I'd like to follow. Somebody like David, you know. That he says, you know, I want a drink, and I go get him a drink, and then I bring it to him. Now, if you don't know what he's doing, and he pours it out, you're going to think, man, I went and got you that water, and you dumped it out. But see, he offered it as a, he did a most holy thing with it. And he honored those guys for what they did. 
That's the kind of leader I, I want to be. You know, anything anybody does for me, I can remember back as a kid, people have done things for me. I still remember to this day things that people have done for me. I'm appreciative of the things people do for me. Oh, if you want to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, always be appreciative of things that people do for you. And when they do something nice for you, always honor God with it. Can you say amen? And that'll, and that'll bless those people that, that, that did something good for you. How much time? I got a little more time. Let's finish this up. Let's go to 2 Samuel 23 here, verse 20. Let's talk about, I think this is the last guy here, Benaiah. Now, I've never taught on David's mighty men in 15 years. Are you getting anything good out of this tonight? Let's finish up with Benaiah in verse 20. He was the son of that fellow there, the son of a valiant man from Cabezel. Cabezel? Well, these are some names, aren't they? Who had done many deeds. He had killed two. Now, look at what he did. Why was he a mighty man? He killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. What does a snowy day have to do with anything? I'll tell you. In just a moment. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff. He took the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Now, now let me explain a little bit of this to you, why, why this was so significant. These three feats are a portrayal of the believer overcoming the flesh, the devil, and the world. See, if you want to be a mighty man or woman of God, you've got to overcome your flesh, the devil, and the world. I know Jesus has defeated the devil, but we have to stand in the power of his victory and hold the devil at bay. See, if you want to be considered mighty in God's eyes, you need to overcome your flesh. Didn't Paul say, I keep my flesh under? Overcome the devil and the world, you see. Now, look at this right here. It talks about him. uh, What did he do here? He... uh, had killed the lion. No, no, not the lion. The two, he had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Two lion-like heroes of Moab. Well, he overcame two lion-like uh, uh, heroes of Moab. Two of Moab's best men. Now, this is an example of the flesh, and I'll tell you why. The Moabites were physically related to Israel, and yet they were enemies. Just as our spirit... Where is your spirit? Your spirit's inside your body, Right? Inside your flesh, is that right? They're closely related, aren't they? The body can't live without the spirit, is that right? But yet they're at enmity against each other, aren't they? Doesn't the Bible say the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, is that, is that right? And you see, Israel here would represent the spirit, if you will, and the Moabites, the flesh. And by flesh here, I mean the sinful fallen nature, the old man, which the Bible says to keep under the old man, that we all have, you know, we need to keep him under control. And, and, uh, but the flesh is closely related to each and every one of us. It's our enemy. It must be overcome if we are to be mighty men of God or mighty women of God. Now, look at this. The Moabites, they represented the flesh when it's not under control. Now, listen to this. The Moabites, you see, and Benaiah killed two of Moab's best men. And you see, the Moabites, they represent the flesh when it's not under control. If you think about the origin of the Moabites, this nation came from an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. That would be the flesh not under control. Also remember that their their king, the king of Moab, King Eglon, remember him? He's referred to as the obese king of Moab. Obese, I'll pull in my tummy when I say that sitting on his throne in the summer palace. Remember that? 
And you see, this would be a striking picture of the flesh not under control. And also Jericho, which was conquered by Israel under Joshua. But during the times of the judges, it had come under enemy control once again. And it was because the Moabites were not held in check. And you see, Moab here represents the flesh not under control. And so what happened here is Beniah, when he killed these two lion-like heroes of Moab, it means lion-like, means two of their best men. It represents the fact that he was killing the flesh or he was keeping his flesh. It would mean to us, us keeping our flesh under control. And if we want to be considered mighty men and women of God, we're going to have to keep our flesh under control. Now, also... It says that he went and he killed a lion. Well, the Bible calls the, de- the, uh, the devil a prowling lion, going about seeking whom he may devour. Is that correct? So when Benaiah killed that lion, it's an example of us keeping the devil under our feet in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you want to be considered a mighty man or woman of God, you're going to have to keep the devil where he belongs, under your feet. And it's also interesting, He talked. the Bible talks about him doing this on a snowy day. Do you know what that has to make? And to me, that makes reference to this, that he, he, he killed this lion. He kept the devil under his feet, if you will, and he made no excuse. It's amazing how many times people will say, well, I would, have, I would have served God, but it was snowing outside. Or I would have served God, but it was raining outside. I would have served God, but it was too cold outside. I would have served God, but it was too hot outside. I would have served God, but it was too clear outside. I would have served God, but it was too cloudy outside. I would have served God, but it was, it was, it it was a holiday. You know what? I don't want to make any excuses. How about you? I want to serve God no matter what day it is. Amen? Whether it's snowing, I want to be like the postal service. Rain, sun, shine, snow. I want to make the delivery for God. Amen? Praise God. And that's what the snowy day had to do with. And then finally, it talks about him killing the Egyptian. Well, you know, Egypt is a type of the world. It's interesting to notice that Benaiah discarded his own staff and used the Egyptian spear to defeat him. Christians should take every opportunity to use the material things of this world to fight against the world system. For example, the technology of television or the Internet, which are used primarily for worldly enterprises, should be utilized by Christians and used for the glory of God in overcoming the world and promoting the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? So what did he do? He overcame the flesh, the devil, and the world. Praise God. Now, more mighty men are recorded in verses 24 to 39, but not much is said about them. And there's about 90% of them are not recorded at all in the Bible. Every man who joined David in the wilderness essentially entered into his kingdom, but only a few made the list of mighty men. Every Christian is in the kingdom of God. If you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, you're a Christian, you're in the kingdom of God, but only those Christians who are willing to serve Jesus with courage and loyal devotion, those willing to stick with God's plan and occupy and overcome in spite of difficulty and rejection will stand out as mighty men and women of God. And I want to ask you a question tonight. Is your name recorded on God's list of mighty Christians?
Did you get anything out of this tonight? Praise God. Ushers, come if you would. Well, there was